moved to Leicester in um, the back end of uh, 2004. And uh, one of the things that struck me from sort of like uh, living in Leeds and also being in London, working in London all over the country, when I came to Leicester, that it was very culturally segregated and people didn't really um, socially mix. So uh, through my time here, when it came to about 2011, I was approached through the work that I did because I was a teacher at FE College um, and HE, and I was approached to do some community work and to save the Manor House Community Centre on Narborough Road. Oh, yeah. Um, So I set set up an organisation and uh, did an event to get 2,000 people through the door and did a big media campaign and I did an event which was all about celebrating cultural diversity which was the first cosmopolitan carnival um it's not really a carnival it's an arts festival it was hugely successful I saved the manor house community center and then uh, I did it there another year and it got so big that I was told look it's got too big for here you're gonna have to find somewhere else so in 2014, it moved into the city centre. And since then, it's grown and I have about over 40,000 people, 40 to 50,000 people come through the event on the day. Um, it's an annual event every year about cultural diversity. And it has about six or seven stages spanning across the city centre. Lots of pop-up performances and activities that happen. Okay, well, thank you and welcome to the episode 10 of the Adventures in Career Development podcast. Uh, We're doing a series at the moment where we're looking at values and making a difference in people's career. And so we're talking to a series of different people who've tried to make a difference in their career and we think really have made a difference in their career. So in today's episode, uh, Corinne Grant is going to be talking to Amanda Leandro. And Amanda is the director and founding member of Cosmopolitan Arts, uh, which is an arts organisation in Leicester. She's an art director, a producer, a project and events manager, but she also, as you'll hear, uh, is really driven by values. You've already heard a little bit about her uh, events that she's been setting up and how she's uh, tried to bring together the community in, um, in Leicester, which, which when she came, was, she felt was really, really very divided. And that really drove her towards this kind of arts work. Uh, she's going to go on and tell us a bit more about some of the specific work that she's been doing with the Chinese community. Uh, and then Corinne's going to pick up the story from there. <laughs> I worked with the, because it's all about bringing different cultures together to break down barriers, because I didn't see that happening here. I worked with the Chinese community and realised that they didn't have a community centre and they didn't have Chinese New Year. And so we had a chat one day and it happened to be on New Year's Day and I'd taken a gift in and I said, why are you working? Why are you not celebrating Chinese New Year? And I said, there was nothing. And then I realised that there was no research into Chinese community or their heritage. So I partnered with them and I set up Chinese New Year, which I think was the fourth year this year, which is a huge event across the city. There's lots of different 
events through the 15-day period. And um, I've also done a Chinese heritage project uh, for the city, which had never been done before, um, to help make the Chinese community more visible and to break down racial barriers. So I feel that I've made a huge impact on um, cultural diversity in the city. And I think it's vitally important because we are the most culturally diverse city in the country other than central London. And um, my organisation and all the work that I, you know, I feel like it's a passion, I call it a calling, is all about breaking, uh, breaking down barriers um, and celebrating cultural diversity and promoting integration and unity just to prevent racism. Um, and uh, you know, get people sort of like understanding each other more. And I think the arts transcends language barriers um, and communicates from a different level, which is non-confrontational, and people can be exposed to it incidentally, particularly in the city centre. And um, it just allows people to change their preconceptions and stereotypes. Wow. That's that okay? amazing. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not just okay. That's amazing. That's a real, um, I love the idea that you feel it as a calling. And, um, and I think yeah. I can see the, that example of um, bringing people together. I, I certainly live in a, in quite a diverse community. And I know, um, obviously, the reason that I know you is because you've brought my son together with a group of other people that he might not have met otherwise to do music. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think that's that's fantastic. Thank you. Um, so yeah. now I'd like to take you right back to your very first um, job, or your yeah, your first job. What did you do the first time you ever entered work? So um, I had a job in my mum's pet shop, but she didn't sell animals. She just specialised in specialist pet goods, and hmm. I did that when I was about fourteen. It was my little Saturday job, and I used to like it because the baker used to give me cream cakes at the end of the day that he hadn't sold, which was my the ultimate of working on a Saturday. Um, but when I graduated from the university, my first proper job, which is a story in itself, and I use this when I do inspirational talks with young people. Yeah. Um, basically, I was coming home. I'm uh, living in Leeds, and I was coming home. I lived in the student area, and I had was uh, I just graduated, and I didn't know what to do, and I felt a bit anticlimaxed after doing three years at uni. And, you know, kind of having all these friends from all over the country and then the old disbanded and I was like, what next? And uh, we're filming at the bottom of my street and it was a big, big floodlit set and it was a film about the Yorkshire Ripper and I rang my best friend and said, you need to go down and bring your CV and she never turned up so I went down by myself <laughs> and I ended up, there was hordes of people all watching this filming, it was like all 1970s cars and cost, you know, people in 1970s clothes. And um, I basically started talking to the sound people and the lighting people. And then I ended up talking to the main actor in the film, who was um, the detective who tried to catch the Yorkshire Ripper. And it took him like years, like 15 years or something to catch him. And he had like a cream mac on and a, you know, moustache and very <laughs> 1970s, atypical. But we got on really well and we were having a bit of banter and he nicked my pen and we were doing the crossword and stuff because he was on a break. And then he said, well, what do you do? Why are you here? And I says, well, I love, um, I'd love to work in TV. 
and I'd love to work in the art department and I just love um, the film industry and in fact I've written my dissertation on it and then the director came over and the director was like you know who are you and I said he said look she's really nice she wants to work in the art department and with that she marched me across this floodlit set and took me to the art department who were madly scrubbing around in the background and um, barely looked up because I was so busy and I handed my CV over to this woman and she snatched it off me and plonked it down and I thought oh well that's that so I said thank you and I walked off and I said thank you to everyone and uh, didn't think anything of it didn't think anything would happen let them get back to filming and then two days later I got a phone call saying you've got an interview at Yorkshire Television I went for my interview and I felt like I completely failed. I sweated. I thought <laughs> 10 to the dozen. And I thought I'd got really like cringe afterwards. And you think, oh my God, that was my only chance. And I've blown it. And then two days after that, I got a phone call from Channel 4 and said, would you like to be an art director, not even an assistant, on a children's programme about set in the Victorian times? And that was it. Oh my so goodness. I ended up yeah, I was in the deep end. Um, and then I worked on so many different things. I worked on a feature film with Drew Barrymore in. Um, I worked on uh, lots of Emmerdale Casualty. I was head of design for regional programming at Yorkshire TV. I worked on Countdown. I worked on loads of children's um, uh, TV programs, lots of different films, a couple of short films that won uh, awards at film festivals. Um, so that was really my, I, I always say to young people, because I left home at 16 and I put myself through college and university and I had cleaning jobs and all sorts of things to get me, get me through. I always say to young people that you get, you make your own luck in life. Mm. You've got to go out there and you've got to be confident and it's good. You know, if you want to do an interesting job or stand out, you've got to use your you know, your character and have a bit of courage. Mm. And to what, so you describe what you're doing now as something that is, um, you feel like you have a calling for, and you had also had this real passion near the beginning part of your career for working in TV and the arts. Um, yeah. do, does it feel like a calling in the same way in that, you know, what you describe that you're doing now um, gives you... I think, um, it, I think what, uh, what I ha sorry to interject. No, it's so what right. I think happened was, Working in TV made me, it, it, you have to be very disciplined. You work very long hours. It's not very glamorous. You do meet lots of famous people. Um, but the art department probably long, works the longest hours and the hard, you know, very hard. Um, but it gave me a really um, high-level training for quite high-pressure responsibility because if you imagine being a young graduate and I was managing people who'd been in the business since before I was born. Wow. So I, you know, I had prop, you know, prop men that were underneath me that were r around filming Rising Damp, and I was in awe of them. Yeah. And uh, carpenters, and you know, painting teams, and I was working with directors, or people who were a lot older than me. But it gave me really high level sort of like training to be able to kind of be quite focused and driven, because if you're freelance, you're only as good as your last job. So when I um, came to Leicester and I taught for a while, I really loved young people, but I became a bit disillusioned by all the 
red tape and bureaucracy. There was a lot of paperwork. And I always remember a point, um, I won't say where I was teaching, but I was told, I don't care what you do, but pass them all because that's money to us. And I thought, well, I I worked really hard for my education and made quite a lot of sacrifices. And I think that, you know, somebody's worked hard for something and then somebody's just getting passed even though they put them bare minimum in. I didn't think that was correct. And I also felt that I, uh, I just, I love the young people, not that. So um, I got into doing community work. I did some creative partnership work. I worked for pedestrian. And one day my friend said, you're getting loads of funding in for pedestrian for their uh, creative partnership uh, projects. So to write funding bids as well as be a project manager. And she said, why don't you do it yourself? Mm. And so when I got approached to save the manor house and do the event, the event was the same kind of level of uh, high level responsibility that I was used to working in TV. And I got the same buzz out of it. Because to me, I think whatever job you do, you have to really enjoy it. And Mm. a lot of people see me running around and everything's in my head. And I very have to be very super organized. But I like that. And that's what I've got a training for. And it's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, but I actually quite like that kind of high-pressure creative role um, and seeing people, lots of people happy. Mm. Um, and it's the same with working with young people and the, young, the, uh, the youth projects I do. Um, they're all about breaking down cultural barriers and integration and giving people opportunities that maybe they wouldn't necessarily have. Um, and I feel a real sense of not even satisfaction is probably the word because I feel that I, um, I, you know, I'm creating a generation of people that maybe have not been exposed to things um, that other young people their age um, are. So Mm. I think within the Tory like, you know, climate of austerity, um, I think that young people are missing out. All the youth services are closing down. There's no creative partnership work anymore, which was amazing. And being able to offer that opportunity to a group of young people um, makes me feel a real sense of... I, I love them. I love all the young people I work with. I call them my kids. But I, feel like I get a lot of um, a sense of pride for working with them as well as doing the big events to break down racial barriers. Mm. There's two things I'd like to just talk a bit more about from what you've just said. So one of them is about that transition from uh, working in TV and then deciding actually what I want to do is I want to take everything I've learned and be able to give other people the opportunity to see new things. But the second thing is about power because you talked about the fact that we're in a period of austerity and that you're, somebody who's um, make, writing funding bids to large organizations um, or the government, I imagine, uh, charities yeah. in order to bring money in to put these two things on. And I think I'd be interested to talk about to what extent you think you have to be quite, you have to be in a position of power to get access to that kind of thing. So could we talk about the first one first, which is about, tell okay. me just a bit more about moving from working in TV to then making the decision was there something that happened in TV that made you think, I don't want to do this anymore? No. So what happened was, that it was it was very hard. Um, but I was, you know, I was good at my job. Mm. Um, 
but what basically what happened with me was I had a um, a personal issue. My long-term partner, who I'd been with um, for many years, from being a teenager, um, we uh, split up, and I had a baby. And my family live abroad, and I couldn't really stay in Leeds because it was all a bit messy and I was quite upset mm. and so my best friend from uni just said come to Leicester so I got in my car with my two cats and my daughter who was about 16 months old and came to Leicester put my house in my, on the market in Leeds and stayed with my friend for a couple of months rented while my house sale went through and then I think I moved about four times in nine months wow and by, by myself with a baby and two cats and um then I, I i settled here and i kind of was told that i should do teaching because of it was a good thing to do with kids and my background i could easily teach film so i did that for a while but as i said i got disillusioned by that okay. and i think i kind of fell i think because of the work that i did and um i kind of fell into um I built my own career. I'm not um, atypical. You know how water always finds its source? I kind of needed something that... Um, I, I wasn't going to be just a mum. I, I, I needed to be a good role model for my mum, uh-huh. um, considering I was bringing her up on my own. Yeah. But I wanted a career that I could be present for my daughter um, so, you know, I could work a lot from home and be around to pick her up from school and whatever. But I could still um, earn and do what I enjoyed, my passion. Yeah. And I think that I've always been, a per- I couldn't be, I'd be like a butterfly trapped in a jar if I was in an office job working for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've got your sort of personal um, experience, your your personal situation, and then the things that you want to be able to make happen in your life that all come together that then made this yeah. path that you've wound up with. Um, that's yeah. really interesting. So then thinking yeah. about um, power, um, what I'm thinking about is it, whether it's important that you are someone who has access to um, certain types of people or authority or links to um, the right kinds of organizations in order to make your work work. Because how do you get your funding? Well, I didn't know anybody. I knew one person when I came to Leicester. So it was a very slow burn, and I took a lot of sacrifices. It wasn't easy. Mm. So at the beginning, I'd write a funding bid. I'd be successful. I'd deliver the uh, project. And then at the end of it, I'd, I'd have to write my report. And then I was like, oh, I've got no money now. <laughs> um, so it was quite hard. And it was very, you know... And then you'd write another funding bid, wait a few months, and then, you know, like, it was like, well, how are we going to live between men? And um, it was quite tricky. Um, but I, I, I developed, I think what I had to do was I had to stand out because I could talk to who was blue in the face and say I was an art director in TV and I've got all this experience. People weren't interested. Um, and anybody who's got funding from sort of like the council who are known by them are doing something that's already quite established, like the Mella or something like that. Okay. So if you turn around and say, I want some support because I'm fighting racism, they'll be like, I had a lot of issues. I mean, I think it's very prevalent now, but in 2011, a lot of particularly white middle-class people would say, 
why are you doing that? There's no racism anymore. And I would be like, oh, yeah, there is. Um, And now with Brexit and everything else, everybody's looking at me like, oh, yeah, you've got You're right. (laughs) But what I've done is I've been, I'm quite unique in that way, is I've never, I know a lot of people now, but I've never been party to all that networking and, and everything else. I've kind of grown up alongside them and become powerful through showing people what I do. Yeah. And it's been a long, slow burn, but that's the only way you can build. And then you can show funders and you can keep telling people what you do. And eventually they're like, oh, my God, she does that. But it takes a long time. It's not something you can just do overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, because you need to build the blocks to get the amount of money to get up to the next level, to be at a, a level where people go, oh, my God, she does that. It feels it's to me not, like, it sounds to me like oh. you, you've got um, a vision. I, I'm, you haven't said anything about this, but that you've got more plans. You've got ideas. Of, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I'm, a, I'm a visionary. I'm a visionary. Yeah. What I do is I... Because I have to come up with all, I'm creative, incredibly creative, but obviously with the creative jobs I've done, but I'm a creative thinker and I visualize everything. Mm-hmm. So I've got, um, which is really frustrating, I've got a fantastic uh, chunk of funding to do something amazing that's meant to happen this summer, um, which I've been kind of thinking about for about two years. And I've eventually got the funding to do it and I'm really chomping at the bit. And I can't do it because of, I, I don't know what, if we can do it because of the situation at the moment with the isolation yeah. and stuff. But that's the way I keep on going bigger. It's like I step up each mm-hmm. time. I'll go, right, I'm going to do this this time. And then I step up and then it goes up and, and it keeps escalating. And so because you've always, you've always got to build on yourself. It's like I, I like a challenge. I like to push myself. And all the artists that I employ and work with, I like to challenge them and push them to. So do you feel like your personal values are matching where you are at the moment in terms of your work? Yeah, because I'm not bowing down to anybody else and ticking boxes and I'm kind of a bit rogue. So I, I, uh, I do stick very strongly to my values and I am definitely fighting racism mm. and I continue to do so even more with, you know, like with the issues now with uh, people like Donald Trump turning around saying it's Chinese flu. I'm obviously going to be, um, you know, helping and um, supporting the Chinese community because they're getting a lot of racism right now. Yeah. Um, and I'll obviously keep, um, pushing for all communities. I'm doing a big project at the moment where I'm going to be. I'm working with um, five cultural groups a year over three years. I've just completed the first year, so <coughs> and uh, I need a drink. Um, <laughs> so, I, I, so five cultural communities over uh, three years. So it's fifteen in total. And we're doing an academic report, a documentary, and. Um, we're doing workshops and they create artifacts and performances that go into the cosmopolitan carnival. Um, so basically those, that will then build into a piece of evidence about um, different cultures and how they interact and 
how they feel within the city, mm. which will help support these cultural communities in the future. Amazing. If Looking back, um, has there been a time or an incident, an event where you felt like your personal values were at odds with what you were trying to do at work or what you were being asked to do at work? Yeah. So at one point between this was sort of like the turning point where I was kind of doing, I was between funding bids when I told you how to have this stop start things. Mm-hmm. And so I applied for some funding and I had to get a job because I needed, I'm a single parent. I need to, you know, look after my daughter and pay the bills. So I took a job, um, with a film company and um, this as a producer and my dad was so excited he was like oh you're going to go back and work in TV this is your stepping stone and I wasn't really sure about it but I just saw it as a means to an end and really I was selling my soul a bit because um, I'm vegetarian I'm into um, animal rights and stuff like that I'm not an extremist but I love animals and don't believe in cruelty to them and this company, I was, it was sold to me that they did sort of like outdoor wear and hunting gear. And very soon after sort of like starting with them, I realized that basically they were a hunting company. And the way they advertised their, the films they made to advertise their outdoor wear were men going around shooting animals. <laughs> And so I didn't last very long. <laughs> I didn't last very long. I had a real, like, you know, when you're kind of like driving home and you've got like a real moral kind of dilemma going on. And I remember talking to my sister about it. She was like, yeah, you, you've got to leave if you're feeling like that. Yeah. Um, and my friends were like, no, you should take it out. And I was like, no, I can't, I can't. And I just remember sitting down with them saying, you're all lovely people. And I really appreciate being given this job. However... I'm vegetarian and I really love animals. And they all looked at me like their jaws dropped because they were quite merciless. It was like guns everywhere and everything. And I was just like, I've, I've got to go. Yeah. And they were like, oh, okay, okay. So, yeah. I, but I think you've got to stick to your morals and your values mm. because otherwise you end up um, kind of not, you know, not feeling, you know, good in yourself. You know, you don't feel balanced, and I think that can set you off kilter. And, um, and I believe that, you know, you work to live, but if you spend a lot of time at work, you need to enjoy what you're doing, and you, you've got to be in line with your morals and your values. Yeah, but, the, I mean, it could be um, really difficult to do that at times, couldn't it, if, um, if that was the way that you were able to make a living and you couldn't see another way to do it. But you've you yeah. felt that you were able to make that sacrifice in order to... Um, make sure that your work was one of your values, yeah. Yeah, my father fell out with me. Oh, dear. (laughs) Around the same, no, we're all right now, but at the same, around the same time, I went for, I left that job with the hunting company and I got a job as a lecturer at Coventry University doing film. Ah, And at the same time, I got my first funding to um, do Cosmopolitan Carnival in City Centre. So I turned the job down at Coventry University to do the uh, festival. Uh-huh. And my dad said I was insane. <laughs> he didn't talk to me for at least a month. And then he brought it up kind of quite regularly that it wasn't, you know, it was much better to say you were a university than a festival organiser. Oh, um, wow. But I, 
I stuck to my guns and I, you know, bit my tongue. And now he's kind of quite impressed with me. So he's not said, you know, uh, perhaps I was wrong, but I can tell by some of the things he says that he probably thinks I probably did the right thing now. Oh, that's really um, interesting. Wow. For his own thoughts, but I am what quite, your job was were quite different from the yeah. reality. Uh -huh. Yeah, because I didn't want to leave my daughter in childcare and travel up and down the motorway. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I, I believe that you need quality of life. And you, when you're a parent, you've got to balance. I, I mean, mm -hmm. I couldn't have done the work that I did in TV and with, with my daughter when she was young. There was no way. Yeah, I did a, an advert when I was breastfeeding when she was small because she wouldn't take a bottle. I'd express some milk. So I had, and she was screaming and I said to the director, look, it's the first time I'm properly leaving her. Can we have a break now so we can go home and breastfeed her? And they took a break and they were fine about it. But I thought this isn't going to work because yeah. I've worked in TV for years and you don't do that normally. Um, so I did. I felt quite embarrassed and I thought, well, that's that really um, for the time being. And um, I think I realised, I think that the best job you do is being the parent. Most important job you do is being the parent mm. and everything else. You know, if you can have a career as well, that's a bonus. Mm. But I think my passion is my daughter as well. And mm. my daughter says that she's my um, she's my biggest fan and she's really proud of what I do. Oh, that's um, beautiful. So, yeah. So for me, I think being the role model to your children is as important um, as doing a good job. Fantastic. One last question for me. If you think about the kinds of questions I've been asking you um, in this short interview, is there anyone that you would be interested to ask these questions of? It could be somebody who's famous or not famous, alive or no longer living. Um, and why that person? There's lots of people I could think of, but I think I'd probably go for Emmeline Pankhurst because um, she was a charismatic leader and she was a um, fantastic kind of um, strong woman who kind of incited a lot of women to join her cause against sort of like lots of men who are in power and get women the right to sort of like vote and have um, rights in other areas and just change the way women were perceived and I think that's fantastic. That's I a really resent, Yeah, I really resent it when women say, oh, what's the point in voting? And you think about what the suffragettes went through and, you know, so women, many women died. Mm. And I think that we need to have a bit more solidarity and um, really support each other. I couldn't agree more with that. That I, I'm very much on the same page with you on that one. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> this has been an absolute pleasure, Amanda. And I obviously I respect and admire the work that I know you do um, with my own family. Um, but I had no idea of the breadth and depth of the work that you've done, not only in the past, but that you're currently doing now. So it's been so interesting for me to hear about it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for wanting to hear about it.